Section 3 of Roman History, The Early Empire by William Wolfe Capes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 1. Augustus, B.C. 31 to A.D. 14, Part 2. If we now turn our thoughts from the centre to the provinces, we shall find that the imperial system brought with it more sweeping changes and more real improvement. Almost every country of the Roman world had long been frightfully misgoverned. Toward the end of the Republic there rises from every land a cry in tones that grow ever louder, a cry of misery and despair, that their governors are greedy and corrupt, scandalously indifferent to injustice, conniving at the extortion of the Roman capitalists who farmed the tithes and taxes, and of the money-lenders who had settled like leeches all around them. The governors who hastened to their provinces after a short tenure of official rank at Rome looked to the emoluments of office to retrieve their fortunes, exhausted frequently by public shows and bribery at home. They abused their power in a hundred ways to amass enormous wealth, with little check from the public opinion of their order or from the courts of law before which they might possibly be prosecuted by their victims or their rivals but a new order of things was now begun augustus left to the senate the nominal control of the more peaceful provinces which needed little military force to these ex-consuls and ex-praetors were sent out as before but with no power of the sword and little of the purse high salaries were paid to them directly by the state but the sources of indirect gains were gradually cut off by their side was a proctor of the emperor's privy purse to watch their conduct and report their misdemeanours at home there was a vigilant ruler ready to give ear to the complaints of the provincials and to see that justice was promptly done by the tribunals or the senate doubtless we still hear of much misgovernment and scandalous abuses sometimes are detailed for the evils to be checked had been the growth of ages and the vigilance of a single ruler however strict must have been oftentimes at fault the remaining countries called imperial provinces were ruled by generals called legati or in some few cases by proctors only they held office during the good pleasure of their master and for longer periods often than the senatorial governors. There are signs that the imperial provinces were better governed, and that the transference of a country to this class from the other was looked upon as a real boon, and not as an empty honour. Such in its chief features was the system of Augustus, the rudiments of the bureaucratic system which was slowly organised by later ages. This was his constructive policy, and on the value of this creative work his claims to greatness must be based. To the provinces the gain undoubtedly was great. His rule brought them peace and order and the essentials of good government. It left the local forms of self-rule almost untouched, enlightened, if it did not quite remove, the incubus of oppression which had so long tightened its grasp upon their throats. At Rome, too, the feeling of relief was keenly felt credit recovered with a rebound after the victory at actium prices and the rate of interest fell at once the secret adherents of the fallen cause began to breathe again more freely 
when they heard no mention of proscription the friends of order learnt with joy that the era of anarchy was closed rigid republicans found their jealous suspicions half disarmed by the respect shown for the ancient forms and names by the courtesy with which the senate had been treated and above all perhaps by the modest unassuming manners of their prince for he shunned carefully all outward pomp moved about the streets almost unattended sat patiently through the games and shows which the romans passionately loved went out to dinner readily when asked and charmed men by his simple courtesy he could bear plain speaking too for a blunt soldier to whose petition he said that he had been too busy to attend told him to his face that he had never said he was too busy to expose his own life for him in battle the expenses of his household scarcely rose to the level of those of many a wealthy noble he wore no clothes save those made for him by livia and her women and studiously avoided all profusion or extravagance he tried also to spare his people's purses for upon a journey he often passed through a town by night to give the citizens no chance of proving their loyalty by costly outlay but he spent his treasure lavishly for public ends the public games and festivals provided by him were on a scale of magnificence quite unexampled great sums were often spent in largesse to the populace of rome in times of scarcity corn was sold in the capital below cost price besides the vast quantities distributed in free doles among the poor noble senators of decayed fortunes were often pensioned to enable them to live up to their rank costly buildings set apart for public uses temples baths theatres and aqueducts rose rapidly on every side his kinsmen intimates all whom his influence could move vied with him in such outlay and helped him to realize the boast of later days that he found a city of brick and left one of marble in its place the great roads in italy and through the provinces were carefully repaired and a postal system set on foot confined it is true to official uses armed patrols marched along the roads brigandage was forcibly put down slave gangs were inspected and the abuses of times of violence redressed in the capital itself a police force was organized for the first time intended mainly at first for protection against fire but soon extended and made permanent to secure peace and order in the streets which for centuries the republic had neglected in distant countries his fatherly care was shown in time of need by liberal grants of money to help public works or repair the ravages of earthquakes the interests of the legions also were consulted but not at the expense of quiet citizens as before vast sums were spent in buying up lands in the neighbourhood of the great towns of italy where war or slow decay had thinned their numbers in order at once to recruit the urban population and supply the veterans with farms colonies were planted too beyond the seas for the relief of the overgrown populace of rome there was enough in such material boons to conciliate all classes through the empire the stiff-necked champions of the republic had died upon the battlefield a generation had grown up demoralized by years of anarchy and few were left to mourn the loss of freedom few eyes could see what was one day to be apparent 
that the disguises and the insincerities of the new regime were full of danger that to senator and office-bearer the paths of politics were strewn with snares that in the face of a timid or suspicious ruler it would be as perilous to show their fear as to make a brave show of independence for a while they heard the familiar sounds of senate consul and of tribune they saw the same pageants as of old in daily life nor did they realize as yet that liberty was gone for ever and that the ancient forms that passed before them were as empty of real life as the ancestral masks that moved along the streets to the noble roman's funeral pyre from the imperial machinery we may next turn to the great men who helped possibly to create and certainly to work it it was the singular good fortune of augustus to secure the services of two ministers like agrippa and Maecenas, of different genius but equal loyalty of character marcus vipsanius surnamed agrippa had been in early days the schoolmate and intimate of octavius they were at apollonia together studying the philosophy and art of greece when the tidings came that caesar had been murdered they were together when the bold scheme was formed and the two youths set forth together to claim the heritage of caesar and to strive for the empire of the world to whom the initiative was due we know not but we do know that agrippa's courage never wavered though octavianus seemed at times ready to falter and draw back to the many-sided activity of agrippa and to his unfailing resolution the success of that enterprise seems mainly due he was the great general of the cause that triumphed the hero of every forlorn hope and the knight-errant for every hazardous adventure in distant regions his energy helped to win perugia after stubborn siege his quick eye saw on the lucrine lake the shelter for the fleets that were to be manned and trained before they could hope to face sextus pompeius the bold corsair chief who swept the seas and menaced rome with famine thanks to him again the victory of actium was won for the genius if not the courage of octavianus failed him on the scene of battle whenever danger showed itself henceforth in gaul and spain where the native tribes rose once more in arms in pontus where one of the line of mithridates unfurled the banner of revolt on the shores of the danube where the pannonians were stirring no hand but agrippa's could be trusted to dispel the gathering storms we find in him not heroism alone but the spirit of self-sacrifice three times we read he refused the honours of a triumph at a word he stooped to the lowest round of official rank the aedileship burdened as it was with the ruinous responsibilities of shows and festivals and kept the romans in good humour at a critical moment of the civil struggle to win further popularity by the sweets of material well-being the soldier forsook the camp and courted the arts of peace busied himself with sanitary reforms repaired the magnificent cloacae of old rome constructed the splendid termae for the hot baths introduced from eastern lands built new aqueducts towering aloft upon the arches of the old and distributed the pure water so conveyed to fountains in every quarter of the city which were decorated with statues and columns of precious marbles to be counted by the hundred another sacrifice was called for to divorce the daughter of atticus cicero's famous friend 
and draw nearer the throne by marrying the emperor's niece marcella and he obeyed from dutiful submission to his master or from the ambitious hope to share the power which his sword had won soon it seemed as if his loyalty was to meet with its reward augustus was brought to death's door by sudden illness and in what seemed like his last hour seized agrippa's hand and slipped a ring upon the finger as if to mark him out for his successor but health returned again and with it visible coolness toward agrippa and increased affection for marcellus his young nephew agrippa resigned himself without a murmur and lived in retirement a while at lesbos till the death of marcellus and the warnings of Mycenaeus pointed him out again as the only successor worthy of the empire signs of discontent among the populace of rome quickened the emperor's desire to have his trusty friend beside him and to draw him yet more closely to him he bade him put away marcella and gave him his own daughter julia once more he obeyed in silence and now might fairly hope to be rewarded for his patience and one day to mount into the weakly emperor's place but his lot was to be always second never first his strong frame slowly weakened by hard campaigns and ceaseless journeys at full speed in every quarter of the world gave way at last in twelve b c and his career was closed while he seemed yet in his prime in him augustus lost a gallant soldier and unselfish friend who is said indeed to have advised him after actium to resign his power but who certainly had done more than any other to set him up and to keep him on the pinnacle of greatness it throws a curious light upon his story to read the comment on it in the pages of the naturalist pliny he is speaking of the superstitious fancy that misery clouded the lives of all who were called agrippa in spite he says of his brilliant exploits he was no exception to the rule he was unlucky in his wife julia who dishonoured his good name in his children who died by poison or in exile and unhappy also in bearing all his life what he calls the hard bondage of augustus the friend for whom he toiled so long and faithfully showed little tenderness of heart the master whom he served had tasked his energies in every sphere and called for many an act of self-devotion but he had already looked coldly on his loyal minister and he might at any moment weary of a debt he could not pay and add another page to the long chronicle of the ingratitude of princes Mycenaeus, better known by his mother's name than that of kilnius's father came from an etruscan stock that had given a line of masters to Aredium. he was better fitted for the council chamber than the field of battle for the delicate manoeuvres of diplomacy than for the rough work of stormy times during the years of civic struggle and while the air was charged with thunderclouds we find him always as the trusty agent of octavianus engaged on every important mission that needed adroitness and address his subtle tact and courtesies were tried with the same success upon sextus pompeius and on antonius when the confidence of each was to be won or angry feelings charmed away or the dangers of a coalition met his honeyed words were found of not less avail with the populace of rome when scarcity and danger threatened and the masters of the legions were away it seemed indeed after the empire was once established that his political career was closed for he professed no high ambition refused to wear the gilded chains of office 
or to rise above the modest rank of knighthood he seemed content with his great wealth how gained we need not ask with the social charms of literary circles and the refinements of luxurious ease of which the etruscans were proverbially fond but his influence though secret was as potent as before he was still the emperor's chief adviser counselling tact and moderation ready to soothe his ruffled nerves when sick and weary with the cares of state he was still serving on a secret mission and one that lasted all his life keenly relishing the sweets of peace and all the refined and social pleasures which a great capital alone can furnish haunted by no high principles to vex his sybaritic ease and gifted with a rare facility of winning words he was peculiarly fitted to influence the tone of roman circles and diffuse a grateful pride in the material blessings of imperial rule he could sympathize with the weariness of men who had passed through long years of civic strife and seen every cause betrayed by turns and who craved only peace and quiet with leisure to enjoy and to forget instinct or policy soon led him to caress the rising poets of the day for their social influence might be great their epigrams soon passed from mouth to mouth a well-turned phrase or a bold satire lingered in the memory long after the sound of the verses died away and the practice of public recitations gave them at times something of the power to catch the public ear which journalism has had in later days so from taste and policy alike mycenas played the part of patron of the arts and letters he used the fine point and wit of horace to sing the praises of the enlightened ruler who gave peace and plenty to the world to scoff meantime at high ambitions and play with the memory of fallen causes the social philosophy of moderation soothed the self-respect of men who were sated with the fierce game of politics and war and gladly saw their indolent and sceptical refinement reflected in the poet's graceful words he used the nobler muse of virgil to lead the fancy of the romans back to the good old days ere country life was deserted for the camp and city suggesting the subject of the georgics to revive the old taste for husbandry and lead men to break up the wasteland with the plough he helped also to degrade that muse by leading it astray from worthier themes to waste its melody and pathos in the uncongenial attempt to throw a halo of heroic legend round the cradle of the julian line other poets too propertius tibullus ovid paid dearly for the patronage which cramped their genius and befouled their taste and in place of truer inspiration prompted chiefly amorous insipidities and servile adulation for himself his chief aim in later life seemed careless ease but that boon fled away from him the more he wooed it the emperor eyed terentia his wife too fondly and the injured husband consoled himself with the best philosophy he could but she was a scold as well as a coquette and now drove him to despair with bitter words now lured him to her side again till their quarrels passed at length beyond the house and became the common talk of all the gossips of the town as he was borne along the streets lolling in his litter in a dress loose with studied negligence his fingers all bedecked with rings with eunuchs and parasites and jesters in his train men asked each other with a smile what was the last news of the fickle couple were they married or divorced again 
at last his nerves gave way and sleep forsook him in vain he had recourse to the pleasures of the table which his tuscan nature loved to the rare wines that might lull his cares to rest to distant orchestras of soothing music in earlier days he had set to tuneful verse what seneca calls the shameful prayer that his life might still be spared when health and strength and comeliness forsook him he lived long enough to feel the vanity of all his wishes nothing could cure his lingering agony of sleeplessness or drive the spectre of death from his bedside but the end came at last he passed away and loyal even in his death he left the emperor his heir we have watched augustus in his public life and marked his measures and his ministers it is time now to turn to his domestic circle and see what influences were about him there the chief figure to be studied is livia his wife who had been the object of his violent love while still married to tiberius nero and had been forced to quit her reluctant husband for the home of the triumvir she soon gained over him an influence that never wavered her gentle courtesies of manner her wifely virtues never tainted by the breath of scandal the homeliness with which she copied the grave matrons of old days who stayed at home and spun the wool to clothe their men the discreet reserve with which she shut her eyes to her husband's infidelities are the reasons given by herself as we are told when she was asked for the secret of her power quite insufficient in themselves they may have helped to secure the ascendancy which her beauty and her strength of character had won the gradual change that may be traced in the outward bearing of augustus may be due partly to her counsels certainly she seemed to press patience and forbearance on him and dion cassius at a later time puts into her mouth a pretty sermon on the grace of mercy when her husband's temper had been soured by traitorous plots she was open-handed too in works of charity brought up poor children at her own expense and gave many a maid a marriage dower caligula who knew her well and had insight in his own mad way called her ulysses in petticoats and the men of her own day it seems thought her such a subtle schemer that they credited her with acts of guile of which no evidence was produced dark rumours floated through the streets of rome and men spoke of her in meaning whispers as death knocked again and again at the old man's doors and the favourites of the people passed away it was her misfortune or her guilt that all who were nearest to the emperor all who stood between her son and the succession died by premature and seemingly mysterious deaths the young marcellus to whose memory virgil raised the monument of his pathetic lines the brave agrippa cut off when all his hopes seemed nearest to fulfilment two of julia's children by agrippa within eighteen months of each other all died in turn before their time and all were followed to the grave by regrets and by suspicions that grew louder in each case for livia had no children by augustus of the fruit of her first marriage drusus died in germany and tiberius alone was left the popular fancy goaded by repeated losses found it easy to believe that a ruthless tragedy was going on before their eyes and that the chief actor was a mother scheming for her son calmly sweeping from his path every rival that she feared 
one grandson still was left the youngest of julia's children agrippa posthumus who was born after his father's death on him augustus lavished his love awhile as the last hope of his race adopted him even as his own but soon he found or was led to fancy that the boy was clownish and intractable removed him to sorrentum and when confinement made him worse to the island of planasia but one day pity or regret stole over the old man's heart he slipped away quietly with a single confidant to see the boy seemed to feel the old love revive again and spoke as if he would restore him to his place at home the one bystander told his wife the story and she whispered it to livia's ear that witness died suddenly soon after and his wife was heard to moan that her indiscretion caused his death then livia dared no longer to wait lest the dotard's fondness should be fatal to her hopes quietly she took her potent drugs to a favourite fig-tree in a garden close at hand then as they walked together later on offered him the poisoned figs and ate herself of the harmless ones that grew beside such were the stories that were current at the time too lightly credited perhaps from fear or hate but noteworthy as reflecting the credulous suspicions of the people and the fatality that seemed to haunt the household of the caesars of that family the two julias yet remained alive the wife and daughter of agrippa but they were pining in their lonely prisons and their memory had almost passed away End of section three